So the first time I was with Michael, I said, we're going to have a conversation inside of a ritualistic space. And he was like, what? And I said, and now before we make love, we're going to do desires, fears, and boundaries. And we're going to have this conversation inside of this bubble. Inside of a sacred space, I'm going to tell you my desires. And you're going to tell me your desires. And we're going to actually risk saying things that we're afraid to say. And then we're going to say the fears that we have about it. And then we're going to say if we have any boundaries. And I had to say to him, know that boundaries could change. The boundaries are just for this session. And he said to me, okay. He was like, oh, we can have that. And we had that. And now we have that every single time. Every time. Because I'm not the same person I was seven and a half years ago. And he's not the same person he was seven and a half years ago. And each time we make love or want to be intimate, we're not the same person that we met. So we have to have that conversation on a continual basis. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Call to Courage podcast, where we have courageous conversations with human beings that are the best in their unique field. And my job as the host of the podcast is to ask the right questions in order to be able to pick out the gold from what it is that this person is an expert at so that you can listen in and use these tools and strategies that they have been practicing and have been developing and teaching for many years in your own life to level up the areas of your life in which we're having these conversations. And my guest today is an expert in sex and relationship. And Laurie Handlers is, <laughs> she's an amazing human being. She is direct. She's a no bullshit type of person. She gets directly to the point and she calls a spade a spade. She's been talking about sex, intimacy, and relationships for more than 40 years. And in addition to being an Amazon bestseller, she is also a retreat facilitator at the International School of Temple Arts that teaches lifestyle empowerment and authentic communication. She is the creator of a retreat called The Extraordinary Lovers, which is a couple's retreat that she puts on together with her partner, Michael. And Lori is a, she's a guru when it comes to sex, happiness, as well as the role that intimacy plays in our ability to be able to lead not only a more fulfilling life, but also a longer life. Lori has taken a deep dive into life extension. And in this podcast, she's also going to share some of her tips as to what it is that she believes are at the foundation of us being able to live a more fulfilled and longer life. Relationships is something that I've been deep diving into over the last few years because I believe that we are in relationship to everything in our life. We have our relationships with partners, with family, with colleagues. We also have a relationship with money, with social media. We're in a relationship with our body. We're in a relationship with the world and our community. And I believe that once you understand the art of being able to successfully set up navigate, get feedback, and course correct to refine your relationships, that skill can be used to level up all of the relationships that you have. Meaning, if you want to improve the relationship that you have with money, 
you can start to use some of the relationship tools that we're going to discuss in this podcast as a way to come into greater alignment and have a healthier relationship with money. And as a result, more money flow into your life. The same would be true with your relationship with your body and social media, etc. And so sticking with this relationship theme, I would also like to give you the opportunity to journey with me in a love and relationship masterclass that I created called the Soulmate Safari. This is the culmination of about 10 years of deep diving into recognizing where we fall short in our relationships. And I put together the three most important, I call them pillars of what makes a relationship successful and where we don't have these pillars dialed into our relationships, where our relationships start to crumble and fall apart. The Soulmate Safari is for you if you are looking to call a partner into your life, like you're looking for a relationship and you want to know what it is that you can shift to be able to manifest the partner that you want. But it's also for you if you want to understand the tools and some of these strategies that will support the relationship that you already have. So if you're in a relationship that feels like it could use some support, the Soulmate Safari is for you. At the end of the Soulmate Safari, you also have the opportunity to jump into a, a one-on-one call with me to unpack this masterclass so that I can support you to see how it can support you in manifesting the partner that you want and also how to use what I teach you in that class to support the relationship that you already have. I will include a link to the Soulmate Safari below this video and uh, in the show notes of this podcast. And without further ado, let's jump in to this exciting, funny, and wild conversation with Laurie Handlers. And we're live. Welcome to the Call to Courage podcast. I'm Gareth Pickering and super jazzed to be hanging out today with Laurie Handlers. Welcome to the show, Laurie. Thank you so much. I'm so, I waited for this for a long time. I'm really happy to be with you. Also, because this is the first time we're meeting, like really face to face, even though we've had communications. So it's so it's great to just be coming. here. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you taking the time out of this. I know how busy you are. And I think that's a function of why we haven't been able to connect yet <laughs> because you move around so much and you do so much work of your own. Maybe give our audience a little bit of a backstory of what it is that you're working on at the moment and uh, yeah, what gets you out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Oh, it's two separate answers. What gets me out of bed in the morning are people is people. Uh-huh. Like people that I can make a difference with that. It just like it to me, it's just, it's a big, big umbrella, how to make a difference with this person or this person or these people or this people in this country or whatever. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, and when I say this country, I don't mean people in the United States where I'm, where I'm calling from. Um, I mean, people in this country or that country or wherever I happen to be. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning, like just no, seeing their faces when something I said or something I delivered and then they they participated in it and then their faces shine. You know, they they like I say, OK, everybody face forward now. And they st- and they turn around and they're like, oh, they're beaming. They just got something like huge. And I don't know what it is. You know, uh-huh. I can't say for each person what it's going to be, but what I see on their faces is the shine the light bulb went on and it never goes off again after that it just doesn't go off like it's like giving them the key to their own kingdom so that's what gets me out of bed in the morning 
And that's always gotten me out of bed. Um, what I'm currently working on, <laughs> I'm currently uh, working with couples because my partner, Michael Gibson, and I believe that couples are an endangered species. Mm-hmm. Um, we feel that loads of emphasis has been placed on new ways of relating, you know, new paradigms, open relating and uh, polyamory and uh, it, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to put swinging in that category. I'm just going to put like ethical non-monogamy. And that's great because I think people are doing really well in those realms. A lot of people are doing really well in those realms. Some people are suffering in those realms. Um, but some people are doing really, really well in those realms. And then there's couples who, who, who married and, uh, or who just found each other and they, they, and they all of a sudden find that they don't want to be, uh, open. They want to focus on one person and the other person, maybe they busted the myth that you complete me. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know that I was not complete until I met you. <laughs> Maybe we busted that myth, but the uh-huh. fact is that there's not a lot of support for couples to actually make it. it. Just there's no lessons. There's no nothing that says this is how to be with another human being. We this is my, I have two. I'll just say I have two beefs. We can get into them in the podcast. One is. Um, I learned algebra. I learned geometry. I learned language arts skills. I learned French, but I didn't learn how to relate to a human that I love anywhere, anywhere. So I have great intellectual skills, but I don't have great relating skills. I'm making it up as I go along, just like everybody else. So that's one thing. That's one beef that I have. I didn't know where in my education was that anywhere. And then second, where I was educated was by rock and roll and Walt Disney. And, um, and um, all the songs that I sang to my, to, with my little girlfriends and danced to were all uh, drama triangle relationships, Cartman drama triangle relationships. And Walt Disney was paid by the United States government to put certain programming into his movies and into his television programs. And so I learned those things too. Like I learned to be Cinderella waiting for some prince and the prince never showed. First of all, I don't want a prince that wouldn't know how to find the other foot that I have that has a a slipper that has to be put on it. I wouldn't. <laughs> and say, like, if he's so dumb and he can't find the, the other foot with a shoe, I'm not interested in he's him. He's not the one. <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, um, yeah, that was just really bad programming for most people that I know. And most people that I know, it doesn't matter where they were educated. They, they have seen Walt Disney. They have seen, they've been influenced by the Disney empire. So um, anyway, so that's like one thing I'm working on, like coupledom and the mm-hmm. others, because I happen to be in a couple and I'm getting married for the first time in my life, in my seventies. And like, yep. I don't know anyone else who does that. Um, uh-huh. 
<laughs> and then the other thing I'm working on is a, a new book called Sex and Happiness. It gets better with age. And that's to bust the myths about being over 50 and losing it, losing it all. Because a number five, zero happens to you. It happens to everyone unless they don't make it that far. And right. they don't have they don't have to dry up and forget about life after that. Like there's a whole life after fifty. I'm so, so stoked to be having this because those those two beefs <laughs> are things that I'm coming up against as well. And <laughs> recognizing that in in many ways there seems to be all this research that our our human experience and how we measure happiness is directly related to the quality of the relationships that we that we create. And yet nowhere in our school do we learn about authentic communication or how to be with other human beings. We're just left to figure that stuff out on one level. The sex conversation is another thing. It's like the reason that all of us are here and it, the sex conversation inside most families and in the education system is like some biology, a penis goes into a vagina and a baby comes out and that's all we're left with. And then the rest <laughs> of it is just figuring it out in the dark. And it's so weird. So yeah, thank you so much for for doing that work, and I feel like it's, it's such a beautiful place to be. Why do you think couples are a a dying breed? What's what's happening in our world that there's less and less monogamous couples? Or how, how do you, you said something about that? Yeah, I, well, I think monogamy. I think it didn't work. I think it didn't. I think the the dream, this Walt Disney dream of finding the prince charming and the cinderella um i don't think i think that didn't work for most people and i think what happened because we don't have skills and there's nothing to support it you know uh people get married and their community is supposed to be hanging out there those are their support people who are supposed to hold them to account Literally, mm -hmm. that's why that's why there's a bridal party. There's people who are supposed to hold the two people to account and hold them to their right. hearts and help them. And what I just, it's crazy, but I just discovered this last week. Um, I was in a completely different class last week. I was participating in a class about uh, content creation, you know, creating content from my website and creating content from my social posts. Um, and this, though I was on a seminar and the woman said, she kept saying, go deeper, your, your client, why, why does your client not come to you? And I put, you know, well, in couples, usually it's the woman who wants to go. Men don't want to go so much. And then she said, go deeper. Why? And I said, well, because they, uh, one wants to go and the other doesn't want to go she said, go deeper. And all of a sudden I just, it hit me like right between the eyes, shame, shame. Mm -hmm. Like if my relationship isn't working, I'm ashamed. Yes. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to, and my partner's ashamed. And like, we don't want anyone to know that whole community that was supposed to hold us to account and hold us together in a coupling which makes a baby which creates a society of other humans there's shame so we throw out the old model and we find another one you know and then a younger one and a, a cuter one a more a more docile one i don't know um and so i just feel like coupledom isn't working because there's nothing to support it nothing 
And there's all those, just those dreams, those dreamy songs or those Hollywood movies that we, you know, like the things that were said in rock and roll, like Prince said, I would die for you. No, I wouldn't die for you. I don't want to, that's not what I want to do when I love you. And when you love me, I don't want you to die for me. I don't want to die for you. I wouldn't be watching you every little step you take or make that Sting said. I wouldn't do that. And that's that's all, that's all. And then, you know, if I go back at older rock and roll, you know, like songs that I grew up with, you know, you made me brand new. You made me this. You No, you didn't do any of that. What's real is that I'm a real human trying to relate to another real human and there are bound to be conflicts. And, and the reason we're together may not even be like if we, if we're together because of chemistry, that isn't going to last that long. Humor is going to last longer and really good communication skills and being able to resolve conflict and having the same values. That's what's going to last we may spark sometimes and the spark may die and then we may spark again and the spark may die. The chemistry is not the thing that keeps people together. It's really their values and, and then, and then, and having boundaries and trust. So blah, 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 on and on. But that's why I think most people don't make it because they see something pretty or something good looking or, and then they, Oh, and they see there's money potential and future potential. And, you know, like women and men have different motivations. But I think those things don't last because they don't have, they didn't come together for the, for the right reasons in the first place. And they didn't check it out with each other and they didn't have anything to help them support it. And then shame. Well, um, first there's, uh, Resentment sets in when the when expectations aren't met. Then mm-hmm. there's resistance. Like now I'm going to resist you because I, I I resent you so much, and then I'm going to get revenge, and then it's over. <laughs> yeah, know, it's just it's yeah. over. There's also been, I think, in our in this generation, a sense of like, well, said differently, the generations prior to when I was born there was the sense of like wanting to make things work and fixing them if they were broken. And we live in a world where it's like more consumer and we've got lost a lot more options. And if something breaks, we simply throw it away and buy a new one. Like my parents would buy a lounge suite and be like, this is our lounge suite forever and our dining room table forever. You know, they would make a decision like that. And I think they valued relationships in the same way. It's like, this is the thing that I'm doing for the long term and I'm going to stick with it. And just like I recover the lounge suite, I give my relationship another turn. And I think, in a world with Tinder and consumer capitalism continually throwing things out, we've adapted the same sort of thinking around relationships, which is like, oh, this is too much hassle and the spark's gone. So I'll just fucking throw it away and start again with something else. <laughs> but I think that's, that's short-lived because, it, it, like you said, the spark isn't necessarily always going to be there. And you can never go deep with somebody if you don't continually you know, keep working on that on that journey with them. And so, yeah, I resonate with, with what you're saying there. I want to ask you, for those that might not even hear this, because I don't think a few years ago I would have resonated it with it. You complete me. What's what's wrong with that? <laughs> well, I was educated to feel that I was half a person. You know, that I, as an alone girl, 
because it was when I was a girl I was educated into this. As a girl, I wasn't anything unless I had the other half. I would find my love of my life and the love of my life would be my other half. And then I would be complete. And boys were educated like that too. Although boys had more privilege in -hmm. those days. So boys needed to find a career and then they could find their, their other half, but they would, I mean, people in my generation introduced themselves as this is my better half. Right. This is my other half. And I'm like, no, you're whole Mm -hmm. and they're Mm -hmm. whole. And there, and two whole humans come together to to love and appreciate each other and build a life together. And and really, it's true. Like statistics on what you said on aging and on happiness and on people who live the longest, people who have the most longevity. They're people who have interconnected relationships. They have relationship with with someone that they really love. And they have a relationship with a community and they have a relationship with They might have a relationship with God. I'm not that interested in that one. That's just me personally. Some people are really interested in that one. Um, But they have, uh, they have hope. They have something, they have hope and faith in something. And if they don't have that, and if it keeps failing over and over again, they feel ashamed and shame wins. I mean, like disgust and shame win like all the self doubt things it t- i used to think it took 10 good things to i don't know i had the very simplistic in early in my psychology life i had a very simplistic framework for negative thoughts negative self talk and positive mm-hmm. self talk and i thought it would take 10 positive self talk things or self pleasure or self awareness rituals to erase one negative and it's i now know it's something like thousands it takes thousands because negative programming is so because of the reptilian brain and uh, the fear uh you know the fight or flight fear of danger and being burned on a fire you know like putting your hand on the on the flame or whatever it takes uh, maybe a thousand i didn't get burned this time I didn't get burned this time. I didn't get burned this time. To reprogram to, that part. Yeah. yeah, to erase one. Oh, I put my hand on a flame and I got burned, mm. or I put my hand in the socket and I got a shock. Yeah, it takes loads. It takes loads, much more than I, in my simplistic way of thinking and back in those days, uh, that it would take to reprogram something. And I don't know that it gets reprogrammed. It just gets displaced. You know, it gets displaced. Someone really has to has to go to town on that, like dig it out of the shadows and go like, where do I doubt myself? Where do I think I'm not worth shit? And that's, I have to just work. I have to just go to town on that. I got to transform that. So how do you how do you coach people that look at their past relationships as failures? Someone who's like divorced for the second time, or feels like they've continually failed in their ability to manifest and maintain partnership, because that's what you're talking about, right? There's a sense of shame that comes with that part. Yeah. It's like fuck, I can't do it. What is? How do you support people through that? Well, I think the shame is what prevents them from getting help. 
So I just need, I just need to say that to you. Like, um, once they're with me, I got plenty to say and do and plenty of things to share with them. It's getting them to this. <laughs> it's getting them to the pl- sign up page. <laughs> so you recognize that they want to be guided on it. Yeah, exactly. I think it's harder. I think it's really hard. And I'll give you an example. Like you're working with men now. Like I'll just, because you said this, I'm, I'm targeting you. Um, when I first met Michael, he was doing uh, something called Just Add Skill for Men. Well, what happened was the first time we ever made love, I was like blown away. I was like, <laughs> I was speechless. It's okay for me to curse on you, you know, to use skeletal. I would encourage language. it. No, okay. no, <laughs> I, I said to him, first of all, I said to him, you fucked me like you meant it. Yes. And he said, I did mean it. And I said, wait, where did you learn how to touch a woman? And he said, I Googled it. Wow. <laughs> I said, what? And he said, I, he said, I can't, I, I was married for 16 years. He said, then I learned pickup. He said, so I used to be able to get women home to my apartment, but once they got there, I didn't know what to do with them. And a few of them just like put their clothes on and said, thanks. That's okay. And they left. (laughs) (laughs) He said, so I didn't know how I was ever going to get sex again. And so he said, so I Googled everything I could find on touch. And I was, I said, wait, you have to understand, like I've been in the Tantra world for over 20 years. I have never had another human touch me the way you just touched me i'm blown away like i'm spe- i this can't be and he said no he said i put it i you know i studied this and that's how i know how to touch you and i went like that's amazing you have to teach a course for men like that's a, that's like the first thing out of the gate after we just made love i'm like you, you have to teach a course for men <laughs> because if every woman I know is getting touched the way I was getting touched, she's not happy and she's not saying. So Michael did this. He did a study. He interviewed 300 people and he said, and he asked them on one to 10 scale, how many, what percent of all their sexual experiences, lovemaking experiences, sexual and lovemaking, because it's different were a number 10, what, how, what percentage was a 10? And men, the, the random men said 30%. And the random women said 2%. 2%, wow. Two, that means they're not satisfied, they're not happy with how they're being touched, they're not being rocked, their world isn't being rocked, and they're not telling because there's no space to, t- this is the whole communication piece. There's no mm-hmm. space to tell so I said to Michael, you have to teach a course called Something for Men. So he started to call the course Just Add Skill. Okay. And then we tried to enroll all these men in the course, Just Add Skill. And every man we knew said, no, I got this. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do with that? Like I, so many men or women, I would know, would say to the men that they were with, you got to come to this class that Michael has. He's giving hands-on basic skills 
touch skills, read a body skills. And they would go, no, that's all right. I'm, I'm good in that department. I'm good in that department. That's what men say. And I know for a fact, men don't know. They don't, they never talked with each other about it. They don't talk to anyone. They read penthouse forum. I mean, literally the men I know read penthouse and they got some, you know, skills or they saw porn and porn is not the same set. Porn is entertainment. It is not education. So anyway, so it was an uphill struggle. We couldn't get too many men into that course. And how is that going now? I mean, is there more of an awakening? No, now we're teaching it. Now we teach a couples course called Extraordinary Lovers. And And that course, he teaches those skills. And then men are like, well, why don't you teach the same skills for men? And so I do do a thing of, t- of touching a men, touching men, but it's not the same because it's because maybe it is the same. I don't know. Maybe men, I don't think men have the same need or requirement. I think that, I think the gender I'm talking to, I am talking to binary people. <laughs> Right now, I'm not talking to non-binary people. I'm talking to mostly binary people. Um, And I'm making that caveat because this is not prejudice against non-binary people. This is just to say when women and men are relating to each other, I think their expectations are different. I think what they need is different. For example, here's a cosmic joke. Um, Men can be excited and want to be touched directly on their penis within the first five minutes of sight and contact of a, of a, a person, of a target, of somebody they want to be with. Mm-hmm. Women take almost, they take 20 to 40 minutes to actually turn on. So that's a cosmic joke. That's like how, who told, who would ever figure that out from the back seat of a car? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that that's. I think that the the people need. You know what I mean? People need to talk about that. I love people the back seat of the car analogy. I'm like, there's no forty minutes there, no chance. <laughs> so yeah. this is what I mean. This is something people need to actually like. Someone like me needs to say it and make everyone laugh at it. And then we have to have a conversation about what that means to each other. Honey, when you approach me, I need da 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 da. And honey, when you approach me, oh, I'd like to get, I'd like you to give me head more. Great, I'd love to do that, and I'd love for you to touch me more slowly, and I'd love for you to. And no, there's no space for that. There's, I don't know any. I don't know anywhere. Okay, maybe at one, maybe at an orgasmic meditation, there became a place where everything got slowed down. But even I, you know, I don't know too many places where anyone's having this conversation that you and I are having, and I see it all as laughable and sad. You know, it's sad if I really, you know, look at it. Oh my God, I want to die over this. I don't, but but it's laughable because no one told us that and and if you know if there was a creator it's a cosmic joke it's ridiculous we don't know this about each other no one knows this but i know how to divide and subtract 
<laughs> you know? So let's let's use this as an as an opportunity to give somebody who's listening to this something that they can genuinely use, like someone who's in relationship at the moment or teeing up a, a potential intimate opportunity. What could a, a framework for communication look like that could support what it is that you're talking about now? People could we call it we make a bubble. I, I you probably know the bubble because I know your partner knows the bubble. I, I never actually shared do. your bubble conversation and we use yeah. it as well. So I'd love you to share I that. I never do an ISTA training without teaching the bubble. I never do any training without teaching the bubble. And it's not even mine. It comes from Margot Anand, like a, a, a famous Tantra teacher. But when it was passed on to me, I made use of it in my life. So the first time I was with Michael, I said, we're going to have a conversation inside of a ritualistic space. And he was like, what? And I said, we're going to make a bubble. And he said to me, oh, what? I said, we're going to make a bubble. And just humor me. We're going to make a bubble. We made a bubble. And I said, and now before we make love, we're going to do desires, fears, and boundaries, which I'm sure you know that too. And we're going to have this conversation inside of this bubble inside of a sacred space, I'm going to tell you my desires and you're going to tell me your desires. And we're going to actually risk saying things that we're afraid to say. And then we're going to say the fears that we have about it. And then we're going to say if we have any boundaries. And we, and and I had to say to him, know that boundaries could change. The boundaries are just for this session just for tonight, just for now. And he said to me, okay. He was like, oh, we can have that. And we had that. And now we have that every single time, every time, every time, because I'm not the same person I was seven and a half years ago. And he's not the same person he was seven and a half years ago. And each time we make love or want to be intimate, we're not the same person that we met. So we have to have that conversation on a continual basis. Just because I liked something last week doesn't mean I want to do that right now. And I'm not on any cycles anymore. I mean, I'm I'm in my 70s, but women who are on their cycles, their bodies are different at a different day, every day of the month. Every minute of the day. <laughs> exactly. So, right. so to have this conversation and to be allowed, it's like a, this this bubble and this conversation gives permission for people to say the unsayable. Like I was never allowed to say in my life what I wanted sexually, because if I said that I wanted something sexually, it alluded to the fact that I was a slut, that I had more experience than possibly the guy. And that he right away would think something of me if I had a need, a sexual need or a, or a want or a desire. So this ritual takes away the stigma of, of being ashamed or slutty about anything. And the two people can say, so in that, so in that first bubble, I said to Michael, I want somebody near home. I have other lovers in the world, but I want somebody near home who I can come home to and count on. And you live very, close to me and if it turned out that that was you like that it could be a miracle it could be wonderful i i don't even i didn't even know that came was going to come out of my mouth and he looked at me when it was his turn and he said i want what you said 
and my heart almost jumped out of my body. Like I was like, what? He said that back to me? Mm -hmm. And that started a values conversation, you know, which led to here we still are. <laughs> like I love this. Years. I love this framework so much because it does so many things. That first of all, for me, it creates a space of safety. You know, like where we know where the boundaries are. We know what what doesn't feel like a yes for us, and those boundaries could be very specific. Like, I, you know, I need a, I want you to use protection, or I don't want you to touch me here, or whatever those things are. And it creates a really safe space for for both partners to be there. For me as a man, having this conversation, and I wish I had learned this shit in school, just like we opened this podcast yeah. with, it takes us out of our head and there's no guesswork about what to do. It's not like, you know, does this person want penetration? Because most of my intimate connections up until I learned about this stuff was like, there's a sense that something's on here. We can feel the energy moving between us. And then we get into the bedroom and then it's like, Okay, she's taking her clothes off and then we're just sort of winging it and I'm sort of going by feel. But most of it is like fucking guesswork. And it's so, it's immature in a way because there's no adult dialogue about what's unfolding in front of us. If we were about to start a business or even go for dinner, we would have a conversation about it. We we're about to make love and most of us are just guessing our way through this. And then, you know, as a man, you're stuck in your head and it's like, you know, does she want this? And I'm, you know, so just having this conversation creates so much space for safety, but also just brings you back into a place of like, okay, I know where we are with this and we've spoken about it. And I feel like it's such a, such an important skill to learn. Yeah. I'm interested that you, you say you do this before every lovemaking session, even in every. a long-term partnership. Every. And if we wow. forget, I'm just, I can only do this for people who will see this. If people listen to this only audio, they won't see it. But if we forget and we're all like, and it's on, we just do it really quick. Okay. <laughs> you like make just... the bubble while you're already in <laughs> Yeah, we make the motions. But most yes. of the time we have the conversation. And we also use the same bubble. And, and we added things like what you added. We added sexual health history, stuff like that. At least the first time we added all the protection things as well, which is a bigger, a, a bit of a bigger conversation. Um, we also make the bubble when we need to have clearing conversations so like you know, something's like up between you something's wrong here this is this is what's up we we need to talk and 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 we have rules about it so that's something that we teach in extraordinary lovers we teach people a framework for saying the hardest things to each other the things they've been resenting we have people dig up all the resentments and stuff and we say and we get them out we say now I don't know if you, I'm sure you're familiar with radical honesty, you know, with the concept We're of radical go there honesty. For sure. I'm going to, and, and I, I mean, I know, right well, I know Brad, I mean, Brad was my therapist at one point. So um, I'm definitely a fan of radical honesty. However, um, my experience in that community was people would just say the thing like with no warning, you know, right. And this, and this, and this, and this, and I'm being honest about this, and this, this, and this, and this. <laughs> no, so I'm not a, space. Yeah, I'm not a critic of the actual telling the truth. I'm just, uh, I like to put a frame around it and say, I'm going to, we're going to tell the truth now, but we're going to have a format so that we don't kill each other with so much stuff 
that's been harboring for so long that the person that's hearing it can't even, like they can't pick themselves up now off the floor. So there has to be a framework for how much, who can say, how long they have, can the other person say, yeah, but back, no. So we have, Michael and I have whole frameworks that we teach couples in which to have these conversations where no one is dead, <laughs> you know, at the end of the conversation, like they're actually, yeah. they're, they're, they return to love. Let's do one of those now. Let's assume that there's something out. Let's do an abridged version. I realize that this is late, but like, let's say, for example, there's something out between you and me and you want to have uh -huh. a conversation that includes radical honesty. How do you frame it in a way that you can really bring what's alive, even if it feels like it's long harbored resentment in a way that somebody can use this in their partnership now? Uh, okay, so I would say to you, Gareth, I have something to cough up. Do you have about 30 minutes? Yeah, sure, let's go. I'm keen to hear what you have. Okay, great. And then I would say, I, you know, whatever it is, I noticed that the other day uh, you left the lights on, the doors open, and the keys, there were keys on a table outside. And I, I like, I don't feel safe when that happens. And I know that you're big on safety. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm precious cargo and I don't, I don't want, I don't, I, I, what I want is for those things to be all handled uh, by you. If you're the one who, who's left it, who's left it. How can you, uh, can you, so I have, a, I might say I have a boundary about it. Like I'm putting up a boundary, like I don't, you know, da, 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 I, I want this or that. And then I, and then I'm quiet. And then you say back. Yeah, I was in a big rush to get out of here and I thought you were coming home later. So I just left the keys outside there and yeah, I didn't even realize you were triggered about this. So yeah, I, I appreciate that. What is the actual boundary? What is it that you need? I need to know that you consider safety first, my safety and your safety, the safety of our property. And so my boundary is, uh, yeah, I, I want the key. Certainly I want the keys not never to be there. My right. boundary is the keys are never outside. <laughs> right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, the lights and the things unlocked. Yeah, I, I, I'd rather. Maybe we could come to a solution that would leave. We'd know where we could leave things, but they wouldn't be obvious. Right. We need some. We need a new solution. Can mm -hmm. we? Can we work on that? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I think I think it's such an important piece. And actually, I have taken. I think it's your work. Um, to even frame this conversation, like first of all, the check-in like you did, have I got 30 minutes to talk about this thing? But even before I get there, I'm saying, hey, these are my fears and desires for this conversation. My desire is to share that I want to keep our relationship solid and what I want to share with you is hopefully going to deepen it. My fear is that, you know, you might be triggered by what it is that I share with you so that those are almost set as a, as a framework in which to even have this difficult conversation using fears, yes. the same fears and desires as well. Yes, exactly. We do that as well. We do that yeah. as well. So yeah, so we teach people how to do it. And we say and and uh, you can only have one. Meaning? You can't, you can't then say to me in that same conversation, 
Yes, but I, what I, about the time that you da 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 da? Yes, that's good. And you also can't, and also I can't bring in more. Okay. And more and more. One I container, can't try to, one theme. Yeah, right. I can't try to kill you with it and overwhelm you with it. Mm-hmm. You know, nice. um, I can, th- I can, th- I can give you a real one that you know recently happened. I had some eye surgeries during the uh, whole pandemic thing, and my eyes are really sensitive now, and I'm like really protective of them. And Michael was fooling around one night. I I had a sleep mask, and he threw the sleep mask, and it grazed my eye. And mm-hmm. I'm a New York girl, you know what I mean? I turned around and I went, "If you fucking touch my eyes, I'll kill you." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that just like, that was like, I don't know where that came from. That just came from the streets. You know what I mean? That came from like, and he had to have a whole conversation with me about never say you'll kill me again. That really scared me. Please never, ever say that to me again. And I was like, you're kidding, right? I mean, that was like such a New York thing to say. What I didn't really mean, you know, and he said, never say that to me again. Never. And I went, okay, I commit. For It was hard. Like I thought, wow, if he ever threw keys at me or, you know, something like I, I'd be like, that would be my first instinct. <laughs> it was hard for me to commit to that, but I committed. I committed that I would never say I'll kill you again. So good. Yeah. How do you, how do you support people that don't know what they want? Fears and desires is a great idea, but how, you know, I've worked with quite a few people who don't know actually what it is that they want. What are, how do you support people well, who are not sure what they what, desire? So they have to start. Most people know what they don't want. Uh-huh. So you start with what they don't want. But we, I also let them know that if you're only focused on what you don't want, that's what you're going to get more of. Yes. You know, the universe has everything. Everything. This everything. It's an abundant universe. It has everything for everybody. Really, it does. And if you only focus, if I only focus on what I don't want, that's I'm that's my brain only sees it. And right. that's that's more of it, more of it, more of it. But if I focus on what I do want, then I'm going to get there. I'm going to get much closer to it. Uh, so but I, but most people have to start with what they don't want because they they're familiar with it. They know what it is. When I ask people to write intentions, I mean, it's hard for them. They, they can't it's like they can't po- almost write it without putting the negative in there without putting the right. don't want in there or, yes. the, or they're healing from something. No, I don't want to know that you're healing. If you were healed, what would it be? If it yes. was complete, if the process was complete, what would be there? So yeah, it's important. It's really important that people be clear um, about what they want and to, and to know that focusing on what they don't want just gets more of it. And if I can't be clear with my partner and say, I want this, I want to have it. Like, I want to have a place where we put those keys. If they're outside, there's a hiding space. There's somewhere. I want this rather than that. But if I only focus on, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> like, you don't know you. There's nowhere to go from that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you touched on something that came up in a recent coaching call for me with a brother who was talking about he's in a new connection and there was part of him that didn't want to bring 
some of his past relationship stuff into this relationship, his new partnership. And when his partner shared very honestly where she had been in her past relating, it brought up some stuff for him. And it touches on the point of radical honesty. And I want you to share what you think about, is there a place for radical honesty in a relationship? Is it essential? What what are your thoughts on radical honesty and connection? Um, I think radical honesty is really important. And I wouldn't say it all in the, in the beginning. I don't think it's, I think it's, um, how do I want to say this? It's a good question. I want to know everything. If you're my potential new partner, I want to know everything about you, but I don't want to know it all in the first five minutes. Right. So I want to, I want to know about values I want to know about uh, things I want to know. I want to know where you've invested in yourself. I want to know where you see your, your future. I want to know, you know, if I want to have kids, I want to know if you want to have kids. If I don't want to have kids, I want to make sure that's okay with you. You know, those things. But your whole past relationships, in due time. In due time. But if eventually, if this is the long-term partner, we want to get all of this out eventually, right? Yes. Yes. This happened and this happened and I was stupid and I allowed this person to take advantage of me and I was, and I did this and I acted on that. One of the things I love the most about my partner is how honest he is, unabashedly honest. He'll just say, yeah, I'm really attracted to her. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, whatever. And he'll just say it and I'll just be like, that's so refreshing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I've du- directness and honesty. Yeah. But Brad, I will, I'll just say, I mean, Brad would have just said, Brad used to say, when you meet someone, tell them every person you slept with, you know, by the second date. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. <laughs> I did that once. A guy's eyes started rolling. <laughs> you did what? <laughs> <laughs> there's something in the in the honesty for me that i think was perhaps in my past dressed up as like caretaking the other person like i thought that perhaps if i was completely honest with my partner about maybe my desires or perhaps what it was that i didn't want that it was somehow better for them and i realized that that was in many ways quite unkind like I, it was a part of me that was hoping that i either wouldn't close a potential opportunity to connect with somebody because I'd maybe offended them or I was going to hurt their feelings if I didn't say exactly what it was that they wanted. And I've noticed that the level of clarity that I bring to connections since making the decision to be completely honest has really been, it's the kindness, like clarity is kindness. You can really give somebody everything and now they have all the information to make the decision about whether this is something that they want to continue with or whatever the situation is. But Withholding any information or not being completely honest, I think, creates a big mess in some connections. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I just feel like, you know, knowledge is, has gives you choice. Mm-hmm. You know, I just need to say something to you. I don't see any um, audio things Re- going it's good. Yeah. It's happening on my side. I can see you and okay. I can hear you. Okay, so. great. Yeah. I just, I was, I was concerned before we go any further and then you go, damn, this we was such a good it. one. No, it's good. <laughs> I've got you loud and clear. <laughs> 
Hey, it's Gareth. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. The original definition of courage means from the heart. And I believe that we can have more courage in our lives by speaking from the heart. I'm on a mission to help heal the world by cultivating more courage, by having more conversations like the one you're listening to now, where I encourage my guests to speak from the heart. If that's a mission that you want to get behind and are prepared to support me on, it would really help us if you would share this podcast with somebody that you think would benefit from listening to this conversation or sharing it onto social media and encouraging your network of people to engage with our guests and the message that we are cultivating here at this podcast. It will also support us if you subscribe to the podcast or write a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And in exchange for your support, you have my word that I will continue to seek out the most exciting, courageous, and inspiring people on the planet to keep cultivating more courage and having more conversations like the one you're listening to now. Thanks for stopping by. And now back to the show. Okay, I've got a question for you. How do, how do men show up for a partner that's going through menopause? What is, is there anything there that oh can really support God. men? Yeah, hang on a second. Um, menopause, that's a whole nother set of things. That's a ball of wax. That's amazing. Um, so when I was going through menopause, I had a partner who was younger than me. I always have partners who are younger than me. So I had a partner who was 17 years younger than me then. And he was living in my big house in Washington, D.C. And, uh, and there was another woman who worked for us and she lived in the house too. And we were both around the same age, give or take. And we were both going through night sweats and mood swings and all these things. And I had to sleep. Sometimes it was snowing out and I had to put the air conditioner on. Wow. Like I was sweating, sweating, sweating. And then all of a sudden after sweating, I'd be freezing, freezing, freezing. And, um, <laughs> It's like eating ice cream and, you know, you have one of those brain things that happen. Your brain freezes when you eat, like, when you drink yeah. an ice cream shake, it's too cold. Right. So um, so that was what life was like then. And he, he would always say to people, don't talk to me about your problems. I'm living with two menopausal women. <laughs> yeah. And I always remember this, too. I, I, I worked, this is right around the time that I was leaving corporate life and I was going into Tantra. That's right. Cause I found Tantra when I was 50. I started my first class. I think I was 46 and I started teaching when I was 50. So, so I was already there. And I remember when I was, at, when I, I had a colleague in corporate and she had a cup, you know, a coffee mug and it said, I'm out of estrogen and I have a gun. <laughs> uh -oh. yeah it's kind of like that so for a partner <laughs> for someone relating to someone going through menopause um i feel like they have to have loads of patience and um they also need to ask questions and see how, see if there's any way that they can be helpful. I don't, I mean, I don't know if there's really anything to do, but I think being patient is really important. And I also, men also go through something called andropause. 
and they don't yeah. know they're going through it because they never had blood to stop and go. You know, they didn't have the physical symptoms, but they also go through something. Mm-hmm. And um, at around fifty, and I think it's uh, also moody and dark and. So it's like, okay, let's be prepared for it. It's going to be moody and dark and crazy, crazier than than PMS, crazier than anything. And it's um, and it's like, okay, just how can I support you? What what needs to happen here? I I know, for example, like I don't own like there's plenty of things that happen since menopause. Like I don't own a turtleneck. I don't own anything that I can't get out of really quickly or that comes up to here. Like I just don't, I can't own anything like that. Almost everything I have has buttons or zippers because I couldn't, I just couldn't, I wanted to like rip my skin off. I remember, I remember calling my mother and saying, ma, when you were going through menopause, did if you had a gun, did you feel like you would kill somebody? And she said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I called my father and I said, pop, when mom was going through menopause, did you feel like if she had a gun, she would have killed you or somebody? And he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I make a joke out of that now, but I mean, at the time that I asked her, I really felt like I like I could kill. I felt like I just didn't know what was surging through me. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. I didn't fly on airplanes for a few years because I was afraid I was going to have to jump off. Like claustrophobia or something. Yeah, like just like, oh, and like sweating and pounding. And, you know, I know a woman who left a car in the middle of a traffic jam. She just like got out. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably one of the craziest times. And I don't know. You know, I take hormone replacement therapy now. Um, and I, they didn't have this, they didn't have bioidentical, uh, HRT when I was going through it, or probably I would have done it earlier. I didn't start taking this till I was 60. Okay. So and have I you noticed already, the difference? Yeah. Oh yeah. I sleep great. I just, I'm very, it takes a lot to mo- make me moody. Okay. A lot. I'm like very even keeled. I'm like, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty nonchalant. And I don't think I was like that then. <laughs> so what's the other side of this? What what a, what a woman, the other side of menopause, like what can we look forward to having sat with this patient? Oh my and God. Great sex. Yeah. No pregnancies. Mm-hmm. No, you know, like, no. After I was 50, I stopped worrying about so many things. You know, I do ISTA over 50 now. I don't know. You, you must know that I do that. And yes, I, I do. like when people, it, first of all, there's no perfect bodies. Everybody looks a little bit lumpy, lopsided with a couple of crinkles. Right. And so, so no, it's like different. When I turned 50, I didn't care what anyone thought of me anymore. I didn't mm-hmm. worry about what I was saying. I didn't worry about what they would think, whoever they were. I didn't care if they didn't like me, love me appreciate me and so they like me love me appreciate me more because i'm more authentic um i just stopped worrying about these things 
And so, and, and sex was so much better. It was like, I re- I brought like real heart to sex. Like, yeah, I want to be ravished. This is what I want. I'm not afraid of you thinking that I'm a slut. I don't care anymore if you think that. Less you know, so I, can, <laughs> so I can be, and I don't, I don't care about, yeah, I, it just, there's a freedom in it. There's a real freedom in not being impregnable and also in the life lived that's just so rich. So it's like, yeah, I was once teaching a sex magic class and a woman called me, she was 60, and she said, I want to be in your sex magic class, but I don't want to have to have an orgasm. And I said to her, why? And she said, oh, I'm 60, I'm done with that. And I said, no, 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 From in my sex magic, it, that like the magic happens at the moment of orgasm. And she's like, oh no, I'm not coming. <laughs> and, wow. I said, I said, I'm so sorry for you. This is the moment of like the best time uh-huh. to create other things other than babies. And she's mm-hmm. like, no, I'm not interested in having an orgasm. It's too much work. Wow. So she's the minority though. I have to just say she's the minority. I feel like older women are on fire and, um, and men are slowed down a little bit. So I feel like there's a, there's some, like it's women are coming into more testosterone and men are coming into less testosterone. And so there's like a, there's a meeting that's more possible than the meeting in the twenties or the meeting right. in the thirties. Like there's a more, there's more of a, Oh, we can talk about this and we can actually make it good for both of us. Wow. You know, that's, uh, <laughs> I think that's very, very possible. Why don't you share what, what sex magic is? Like just for those who might not know exactly oh, yeah. what that is, like how does, what is that about? Sex magic is setting. This is a, this is the way I describe it. It's using orgasm to intentionally manifest desires, creations. So, uh, human beings, because they have a frontal cortex, are different from other a, a large frontal cortex, are different from other mammals. Other mammals have sex but they have sex during a heat period. They, they like what distinguishes humans from other beings is that humans can have sex at any time. They don't necessarily have to be constrained to a time when a mammal is in heat. Um, and they can create things other than babies. I never saw anything a porpoise created. Do you know what I mean? Like I, you know, or, or a dolphin, I love them, but I never saw a ship, or a phone or a computer or a microphone created by a dolphin. You know, like dolphins are super smart. They have sonar, radar, but they don't, they don't create. Um, humans create things besides babies. And so humans, the center of creation for in human beings is the sex area, the sex chakra. That's the area of creation. We think it's in our head. We think all the creativity, all the Walt Disney stuff 
happens in the head, like we picture cartoons or whatever, but where the center of that lies is in the body, in the center, the same place where we create humans, where we create babies. And so um, we could create things by using that same energy. And we do create things by using that same energy channeled in a different way. So if I want to write another book, I set that intention when I'm about to have sex, either self-pleasuring sex or sex with my partner or just energetic sex. And I set that intention and then I put it out into the universe at the moment of orgasm by saying it, I speak it. And, um, and then I let it go. But that's very powerful. It's super powerful. It's more powerful than writing down my affirmations, blah, 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 in a journal. Like I make my affirmations in a sexual context and I don't waste any orgasms. I, say, I, I make intentions for pretty much every orgasm. And so, you know, I've had partners who thought I was really crazy. You know, like I'd be in missionary position. My legs would be around them and I'd be kicking them and going, how much money do you want in your pockets? You know, and they'd be like, <laughs> and they'd be like what? <laughs> Say, just get an attention. You know? <laughs> I've done some pretty crazy things in my life, you know, and that's one of them. <laughs> I really love that. And I love that. I mean, for me, it's also bringing sacredness back to our desires, like recognizing that what it is that we want is sacred. We're, we're allowed to want things. And those things could sound like money or a new apartment or writing a book. But I've also found this, what you spoke about is our sexual energy is our creative life force. And it is the force that brings another human being into this matrix. Like when I think about that, it really just brings like, holy fuck, that's a really powerful energy. And I've actually supported quite a few men to recognize that when they, you say waste an orgasm, I use the same term, but if you use that orgasm while you're mindlessly watching porn or running fantasies about stuff that you don't actually want to bring into your life, you're actually allocating your most powerful life force to something unwanted. And for most of us, porn leaves us feeling shameful if it's not used really intentionally. And just recognizing that, fuck, this is like a strong waste of our most precious life force if we don't use it very intentionally to manifest the things that we want. It's like a strong wake-up call to be like, okay, fuck, my self-pleasuring should be a gift to myself and hold the intention for the things that I want to call into my life in a really, really powerful way. And so, yes. yeah, I love that you're doing this work. Eh? Yes, 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 yes. Do you know about my bell? You must know uh, about my bell. Yeah, I'm going to ring the bell. I'm just going to ring. I'm just ringing the bell for that because that's <laughs> – I travel the world with a bell. Yeah. I ring a bell when people say things that are so profound that we. They, I just want to anchor it. So you got the bell for that, what you said. It was so good. I've lost dog. I've done something good. <laughs> yeah, I just bring the bell because sometimes the bell says more than I could say. To somebody you know so yeah creative life force and let me tell you what michael taught me he knows this statistic 
It's 40 quadrillion to one. And actually now it might be more be since vaccination and whatever. Um, before the pandemic, and I'm just saying everything about it with tongue in cheek because I'm not going to go totally into my feelings and thoughts about that. But bef- before that time, it was 40 quadrillion to one that a person would be born from a sperm fertilizing an egg, like actually 40 quadrillion to one. That means that you, Gareth, are a miracle. And I, Laurie, am a miracle. Like it's 40 quadrillion to one that our parents would have had a successful launch. Now I'm hearing terrible statistics lately. So that's why I gave the the preamble saying like, I don't know. And I'm not, I'm like, I don't even know what that serum thing has done to pregnancies, but uh, Michael and I were talking about the other night and we said, maybe it's 90 quadrillion to one now instead of four, four, oh, 400, sorry, 400 quadrillion. So maybe it's 900 quadrillion. That means that everyone who's actually living, walking, breathing on the earth is a miracle because most um, sperms don't fertilize eggs. Most eggs don't get fertilized. Most things like that don't even happen. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so then that the miracle happens and there's a child, I don't have any of those myself, but I know that it's a miracle. I just know that it's a miracle. And um, no one, can, scientists can't even really tell you what happens. Like they know a sperm fertilizes an egg and they know nine months later there's a child, but they don't know anything else. And they don't know anything about raising that child. They don't know anything about anything. That you actually grow up and you're a functioning human is also amazing because schools don't quite do it, which is how we started this show. Um, so it's amazing. And that people would treat their lives casually, that people would treat each other casually that people would take each other for granted, that people wouldn't know how to really return to love. That's the travesty of all this, that we are not educated to be human to each other. You know, so that's why I wake up every single morning. Because mm-hmm. I am not yeah. done. I have things to say. <laughs> You're also really interested in longevity and i'd love you to talk a little bit about that while also giving some tips of what men can do to increase their vitality and live a little bit longer oh yay sleep number one sleep sleep nine hours no not seven and a half hours seven and a half to nine hours a night don't be some kind of weirdo who's in the protestant work ethic who thinks it's really fabulous to only sleep three to five hours a night and don't live on coffee. Number one, two, I love longevity. So I'm 75 and I plan to be here for a while longer, a lot longer. And I have things I, you know, I have to spend more money than I ever did before on, on things that I never even thought about before, like supplements and whatever. But um, yeah, it's worth it. So that's number one, sleep, Two, stress. Here's the things. Exercise, diet, sleep, and and stress. So you have to move your body every single day. 
Gareth, you know this. I, I watch you. I see you do things on Instagram and I get excited. And I know that I inspired your partner, Araminta. She used to say to me, she used to say to me, you're amazing. Like you're doing this, like we're, we're on the road. And I go, yeah, we're on the road and we have to do movement. Movement is life. And then she bought these travel yoga mats and she did all these things. So you must move every single day, move every single day. Don't take a day off. You can't afford to take a day off. We have to move. We're sitting in these chairs on this screen. We have to move. So movement and sleep. Sleep is really important. Sleep, some couples break up because they have different sleep patterns. Because the one person didn't get enough sleep. Also careers that have like um, overnight things like doctors and pilots and nurses. And I don't know who else works all night shift. Yep. Those are very, those are very bad for your health. Bad. Yep. They rob yep. you of 15 years, 15 years. Um, okay. Stress. Stress, reducing stress is really important, really important. So whatever it takes to reduce stress, um, meditation, emotional release, exercise, self-pleasure. Um, self thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I rang the bell again. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> things that reduce stress. Okay, then there's diet. Now, the, there's no correct diet. So in the Agreed. on the in the people that um, like the blue zones, people in Sardinia and people in Japan and people who really live a long time over 100, mostly they have something like the Mediterranean diet, and they eat things that are locally grown and and like that. Um, they drink wine. Maybe in Japan they don't, but in Italy they do. Um, it's but in not, moderation. Yeah, it's not forbidden. But they also, they walk. They have community to reduce stress. They're supported. Yeah. They love. They're in touch with nature. The nature, going out in nature reduces stress. So those are the four big things. And then there's biohacking. So there's, you know, you could drink the bullet coffee. I don't drink coffee, so I don't do that. But green tea is supposedly really good for men, especially for prostates. Oh, one fallacy. Don't think that if you have to lose your prostate, that you can have an erection. You actually can. So there's sex, there's sex after prostatectomy. Don't go there. Don't go that far. Like get your prostate checked and get your prostate massaged and get your get your testing and whatever don't go there but if you must go there if you have to lose it your junk still works <laughs> you know what i mean like it still it still works it just can't ejaculate and so but after some time it's it does work so um what else can men do? Something I do, although now I just heard that it lowers testosterone, so I'm not sure about it, but I've been doing it for a long time. I take metformin. Metformin is a drug that is given to people with diabetes. I don't have diabetes, but I take metformin because I, I take it for cancer prevention. So um, people who take metformin have super low levels of cancer. 
and they have almost zero levels of pancreatic cancer. And that's what my mother died of. So I take metformin. Um, a friend of mine just told me this week that it lowered her testosterone. So she stopped taking it. But I don't know. I would rather have lowered testosterone than cancer. So I just, it's a trade-off. Um, those are some good biohacks. Uh, yeah, that's a, I'm that's waiting a good, for you to share the stretching your testicles that I've only oh, heard you share before. Yes. You pull on your testicles for every year that you're alive, every day. So if you're 40, so you 44. pull on your, 44, you pull your balls 40 time, 44 times a day. You pull on this, on your squirrel sack, actually. You don't like really hurt your testicles. But uh -huh. you pull down on it. Yeah, you pull it away from your body because so, they tend to go up and get stressed and like hang around too close to the body. So you pull them down. And what and does that just, do? It just, it relieves stress and it definitely creates blood circulation. In all the and right you're places. putting attention, you're putting attention on yourself mm -hmm. um, in, a, in an intentional way. In an intentional way. So, yeah, I forgot about that. Mm. I haven't told that one. I don't teach Tantra anymore, you know, so I don't I don't remember all the things I used to say to people. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that from Araminta and it's, uh, yeah, it was something that I wanted to, that I wanted to share because yeah. I think it's, yeah, that's that intentional stuff that for most would be so weird, but in some ways it's so fucking obvious. It's like, why are we not talking about this stuff is the, right. you know, the types of things that I want to bring to light, you know, self-pleasuring, yeah. you know, sex magic, all of these things that inherently, I guess we know slash new, but we haven't created a space to continue learning these things and continually create Yeah. A ritual totally. these important things. Eh? Totally. Well, I, these new pants, these slack, these, these, I don't know if you call them trousers, these pants that men are wearing that are like lower in the crotch, yeah. you know, like the, like the Thai fisherman pants, which I don't like very much, but I like the, the new knit versions that come from Bali. Yeah. Like those, you know, the, they're made of some kind of stretchy fabric, but they, but they're lower so that they're not pushing your balls up into your, into your body. And those are much better. Those are much healthier, just like boxer shorts. Like the old adage for people, couples who couldn't get pregnant, they would say, what kind of, what kind of shorts does the man wearing? If he's wearing tidy whities, then he, he, his sperm are too hot to get to impregnate a woman. So they would recommend boxer shorts. Now we recommend those, those pants, those, those slacks that have a lower crotch. So there's space, yeah. Makes yeah, sense. there's space there for your balls, like so that they don't—they're not like right next to you all the time. <laughs> so you're you're the creator of the Sex and Happiness podcast. What's what is that gift to the world? What is your aim with a, that podcast? In addition to some of the stuff we've spoken about today, what's what's the point of those conversations? Oh, good. And I have a new podcast. Um, so Sex and Happiness—it's on hold for a while. But what it was, was I, I interviewed, first started as Tantra Cafe. And so I interviewed all the Tantric people, all the teachers that I knew. And what I did, what happened for that is, first of all, I exposed them all to the world. You know, like a lot of them had never been interviewed before. And um, also, I probably had issues with all of them. 
And it was great because I fell in love with them on my podcast. So I like fell in love with people that I had theoretical differences with. Like Des. <laughs> He's wow. a perfect example. I totally fell in love with him on my podcast. Awesome. Was that before you came to ISTA? Oh, yeah. Long before. Okay. He and I met long ago. We met in like 2004 or five. We met a long, long time ago. And, you know, I, I liked him, but I, you know, we didn't, theoretically, we differed about a lot of things. And so I, when I interviewed him, it was great. When I interviewed, I mean, I interviewed, I interviewed Charles Muir. I interviewed Margot Anand. I interviewed Betty Dodson. I interviewed, um, you know, great teachers and also other people, doctors and people who were practitioners and whatever, all kinds of people. I interviewed people who had been former porn stars. I interviewed all kinds of things. Anyway, um, so I got bored with Tantra. Like if the Tantra people said to me one more time, like I'd say, what's your favorite practice? And they'd all say eye gazing. And then like everyone said the same thing. So I just went, I'm so bored. What am I going to do? So my, my station uh, owner at the time said, change the name of the thing to sex and happiness. He said, and then open it up to more creativity, like more subjects. So I opened it up and then I started interviewing all, you know, all these different kinds of people, anyone who had anything to do with something sexual, that was a contribution. I interviewed them. And, and then Michael and I started to, uh, when I met Michael, we started doing this thing called Extraordinary Lovers TV. And we also started, took over sex. And I got tired of interviewing people. 15 years of interviewing people is a long stint with interviewing people. So I, just, so then he and I would just riff on a subject like boundaries. So that's what it contributes. It, it contributes, um, but it's, but we're, it's, it's on hold right now because we're forming this um, portal inside my website. It's called Laurie Handler's, Handler's Inner Circle. And it's got all my, my whole body of work of like my whole legacy of everything I've ever created, which includes films, podcasts, being on other people's podcasts, the whole thing. But also I just want to say, besides, I want to say everybody go to Inner Circle, you know, go to my Inner Circle, join it, and you can get years and years worth of teachings and things, different things that I've produced. But also, I just produced a new podcast, and it, I can't tell you what the former name was because they want to sue me. So I'll just say it's close to what this is. That's, um, so it's called Power Suits and Pillow Talk. Okay. So if you consider where you would wear the power suits and you consider where the pillow talk would be taking place, it would have been the this to the this. But now it's Power Suits and Pillow Talk. And I'm doing it with my friend, Jen Koken. She's an executive female woman's coach. And I'm, and I'm me, you know, a sex expert. And together we talk about how hard it is for powerful women to learn how to be in surrender if they want to, if they want to have be in some kind of polar relationship, polar opposite relationship where there's polarity, where they can actually get ravished. Because if you're an A type personality and you're the alpha woman all day long and you're giving orders, it's really hard to, to just put that down in the bedroom. Mm 
and be somebody else and be in the feminine polarity yet. Exactly. So that's what our pod, that podcast is about. It's going pretty well. So beautiful. <laughs> so good. I want to um, finish with a couple of things. One of them is your yeah. conversation around intimacy past 50. I know that's a, the theme of your book, but I'd love to create a space for anybody that's listening to this that might be, yeah, at, at that stage of their life and perhaps thinking that intimacy is something that sort of tapers off towards the late 40s, early 50s and up. You yeah. don't believe it that. So sure I don't that. believe that. I'm an example of someone who who was living that it I met the love of my life when I was sixty-seven. So if I gave up when I was fifty, that would be ridiculous. Like like ridiculous. Like I met him when I was sixty seven. Who who even expected he was coming? I didn't care. You know, it's just like he showed up. Um I I feel like 50, just what I said earlier, 50, I didn't care anymore about certain social constraints. So then my whole life opened up in a different way. So I don't think people should lose faith. I don't think people should get depressed about it. I think they should, I don't think they should go on Tinder. Like, I don't think Tinder is their spot. You know what I mean? I don't think Tinder is a place for over 50 people. There must be something else. But I think that they, I think there's, um, I think there's so much hope for them. And I think there's so much uh, knowledge that they have about themselves that they couldn't, at 20, they were too self-conscious. At 30, they were too self-conscious. They were too worried about everybody else. And so um, I feel it's a great time to meet people. And if you don't know where, I mean, I don't have, I don't have the, I don't have the one thing that you could check off the list and say, okay, go here and you'll meet. I can say it is to over 50, they'll meet, you know, and I'm doing, you know, as many of them as I possibly can. There's not that many facilitators over 50. So I have to do it. I have to work with who I have, but, um, much more fun. I mean, just much more fun, much more different issues. Different issue. The kids are now grown or almost grown. They're out of the house. Like, what do you want to do with your life? It's yeah. a whole new, it's a whole new way to be. And, and so I have all hope and encouragement for people over 50 and I, and, you know, they can c contact me privately if they have, you know, specific questions about it. I don't know. I don't know what to say generally, except stop it. Stop feeling bad for yourself. And by the book. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do something new. I have let me just tell you in the book I have seven new laws. In my first book I had 10 laws for intimacy. Right. <clears throat> and that was really self intimacy. Um in this book I have seven I have six new laws and one same law. So I have six new ones which are things like shake things up, do new things, break your routines. Um Try, you know, say new things to yourself, uh, risk, all kinds of stuff. And then I have the same one, which is boundaries. Boundaries is the same in both books. Right. Although boundaries when you're younger is different from boundaries when you're older. Boundaries when you're younger is about more like sexuality, like don't do this. You know, I have this boundary. I'm learning how to say I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but I'll do this. In When you're older, you have to have boundaries around um, people trying to take advantage of you not sexually, but financially okay. and um, time-wise. Like if you're a grandparent, 
and your kids have, you know, you have grandchildren and your children are always trying to give you the grandchildren to watch them all the time. Like, no, I have a boundary. No, I don't want that. I'm going out. Yes. <laughs> you know, so it's, yes. di- it's different. Boundaries are different, but mm. yeah. Okay. So that's, that's where I'll stop with that one. But there's a lot of things I cover in, uh, in the new laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you are doing this work and um, yeah, that you've got this opportunity to hang out. It's been, it's been so epic. I would actually like to on the record, invite you and Michael to come to something that Mint and I are co-creating in South Africa next year, which is a couples retreat called Soulmate Safari. And if October next year is in your world, we're going to go to South Africa and yeah, I'm sure you have gifts that you'd be able to share. And if it feels like it's in your flow, I know your calendar is probably full between now and 2027. It's, and it, how busy you are. <laughs> well, I th- in October, I'm just making plans to be possibly in Israel, which isn't that far away. No, like I'm in that, that, let's just say I'm in that part of the world. So That time zone. I'll send you yeah. the details. And it's also this first opportunity for me to mention this on our podcast because I haven't actually even launched it yet. But when Mint and I were like, who would we want to co-create a couples retreat with? You and Michael came up for sure because of the relationship wow. that you guys have. And um, yeah, at some point in our future, doing um, Extraordinary Lovers with you guys is is definitely on our sort of to-do list or bucket Great. list of, of trainings to do. Great. Thank you. That is so wonderful. I feel like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about you, learn more about your books and the Inner Circle? Yeah, they can go to uh, lauriehandlers.com. That's it. And and um, I, I'll spell my name just in case someone's not looking. L-A-U-R-I-E, hand, H-A-N-D-L-E-R-S. It has to have that S on the end, lauriehandlers.com. And also they can go to Amazon. You know, if they want to, they can pre-order the book. Um, Amazon had a snafu, but hopefully it'll be settled by the time people hear this and um, they can pre-order it and it'll be out on, it'll be, you know, out in print in December, but it would really help me to, to rise to the bestseller charts ahead of time. Awesome. So good. And we'll Thank include you. those links as well in the show notes. So Laurie, so great to hang out with you. I can't wait till uh, I get to meet you in person. Thanks, and, uh, Gareth. Thanks for making the time. I know how busy you are and for sharing your magic on this platform. Thank you. This was great. I loved every second of it together. I especially loved laughing with you. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you so much, love. Okay. Ciao. Ciao.